Brushback. I'm your co-host Dan Blewett. Joined here, Bobby. You're not in a car today. This is this is amazing. A Friday with Bobby not stealing Dunkin' Donuts Wi-Fi. We should be so lucky. I'm telling you, if if we ever get a sponsor, Dunkin' Donuts should be it. Other than Jepsen's more. No, we have so Wi-Fi. They're very low in the total bowl. A lot of potential sponsors. And we have an awesome guest today. Josh Rudd is here to talk uh, all things baseball recruiting video with us. Josh, how are you? Appreciate you guys having me, man. This is uh, fun being on the other side of it. Normally, I'm, I'm you guys. Me and Rob Freeman are the ones asking questions. And so this is a little awkward for me, but thanks for having me. It is a little different, right? Like you think uh, I was on a, a podcast myself a week ago and it's it's like the same, but it's different. Like you can just tell your own story and it's weird. You feel like after being on a any kind of show all the time that you'd be like out, but it's almost like you reset. Is that kind yeah, of I was thinking about it this morning. Like, what am I supposed to say when they ask me questions? And I guess, like, because uh, when you're interviewing people, you want to be, like, in and out, right? And I've been working on that. Like, when I watch interviews of myself with other guys, I feel like such a dumbass. I'm like, wow, that question just took me 90 seconds to get out, right? So I've been working on, like, trying to be more short-winded when I'm doing podcasts and interviews. Um, but here – now I guess I'm supposed to be more long-winded. Uh, so I, th- that adjustment's going to be a little awkward, I guess. Well, it's, it's funny that you talk about that because Bobby and I – so Bobby's new to podcasting. I mean, we're 45 episodes in, but I'm probably like 200-ish in in my career and making no money podcasting. But it's funny that you mentioned <laughs> that because it is, it is hard figuring out when to cut people off, like when to kind of zig and zag and how quick and short to respond because – Ultimately, like we have, a, we have a guest like you here today. People don't really want to hear from me that much. So my job, the way I interpret it, is like, like you said, just like let's throw in like a little jab of insight, maybe if it matters, get to the next question and like keep the conversation moving. Um, right. Yeah, we didn't. So so I just started doing podcast stuff really this past year and through quarantine, and it kind of took off. So that was cool, but. Um, I'm not a professional at this by any means. And anybody who watches uh, can kind of laugh at Rob and I. Um, and when I say Rob, I'm talking about Rob Friedman, who's the owner of Flat Ground and uh, notorious pitching ninja on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny to watch us because we don't we don't really know what, what we're doing at all. Um, but I think it was the Jesus Lazardo interview that I did where I'm like, oh, that's how you you give interviews um kids you know he went to douglas high school um down where i used to coach in parkland florida which unfortunately is known more for the school shooting that we had a couple years ago than the talented baseball program that we've had um and i interviewed lizardo and he was just like in and out with his responses like 60 seconds would repeat your question would get to the point and would just cut it off and i was just like sitting there the whole time like this is such a professional and he's mm-hmm. so young. And at the end, when we turned the camera off, I said, you know, how much do they coach you on interviewing? And he said, they do a lot with the young guys that come in on how to give interviews because I look at him and I look at his interview. And then I look at some of these guys that I've interviewed that have been in the game for 30, 40 years. And they're just, I don't care, but like, if you don't cut them off, they'll talk. They'll just keep talking. They'll talk for a half hour straight. And Lazardo was yeah. just, 
yeah, it was good stuff. So I've seen I've seen who could do a good job. So like now I should probably stop. My answer's getting long winded. The Zardo <laughs> would be done by now. Yeah, it's funny. I was watching Rob Manfred's uh, interview with Tom Verducci the other day, and it was very much like that. It was like ten points. Verducci's like, boom, question. Rob answers it. As soon as he stops, boom, next question. And you're right. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, Chris Wallace, obviously, on like Fox News with his recent one with President Trump was was really good, but Bobby didn't probably like it as much. But um, so, <laughs> of course, you didn't. Bob's a big confirmation bias guy. Yeah, Bob, you're the you're like me on my podcast. Like I play the role. Bob and I, I think we play the same role. And then Dan, you you and Rob Friedman play the same role. Bob, I get the sense that you don't know what's going on like me, right? No, I'm I'm here. I'm like the entertainment. I'm just Bob's, Bob's a color guy. Yeah, I'm the color guy. Co- I'm uh, I'm who's who's the guy in what's his name in Major League? Or not Major League? I'm sorry. Uh, you're Bob Euchre? Uh, no, no, no. Bob Euchre's like everything, and then this guy that says like two words, and he's like, "Great, great insights." <laughs> what's that guy's name? <laughs> he says Why like two words the whole broadcast. So can you explain, um, Josh, a little bit how you got started with, with Rob with Flatground Apps and a little bit about what you do in general for those who don't know you? Um, yeah, that's a long question. Um, oh, I'll cut you off. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. that, that uh, let's just start with Rob Friedman and what I do with Flatground. Um, it, it's actually a, an interesting story. So a couple of years, I don't know, probably like a year and a half ago or two years ago, I started two Twitter handles. One was uh, mound prospects and one was plate prospects. And I had this genius idea that uh, I would give a free platform to kids to just tag themselves, uncommitted athletes to just tag themselves. Uh, and then I would simply retweet it. Right. And one day I mm-hmm. would never need to post anything. These kids would just be tagging me and I'd be retweeting it. Well, as dumb as this will make me sound, I had no idea that flat ground existed at all, which is the exact same thing and has already mm-hmm. been established and has hundreds of thousands of followers. And I'm thinking I just came up with some brand new genius idea here. Right. And somebody, um, I think somebody DM'd me or somebody one day I was talking, they're like, Oh, it's like flat ground. I'm like, what's, what's flat ground. So then I go and I read up and I see who Rob is and I see who flat ground is. I'm like, shit, man, I don't, I don't really want to, get into a war with this guy like he you know it would be nice to maybe partner with this dude so i reached out to him and to rob's credit man what a good dude uh, mm-hmm. did not big league me one bit like got on the phone with me uh and talked about i told him like i didn't know you existed i'm not trying to copy you and we kind of kept in touch for a while um and started you know just kind of growing an acquaintance i guess as to what each other are doing and then i did this college tour last winter um, with a guy named Jake Robbins, who's an owner at Showcase Baseball Academy in Charlotte and a former big leaguer. And Jake and I went around, we did a college tour. We went on campuses, we filmed clubhouses, we did interviews with coaches about their programs and about recruiting. And it was awesome content. It was such great content. And Rob Friedman from Flagground, I said, I would love for you to promote it. And he's like, the problem is, is, you know, I don't want to use flat ground to promote somebody else's platforms. And I said, well, I don't, I don't care about the two baby platforms that I have. Like I'll delete them right now. If it means you'll host them and push them out. And he's like, all right, let's do it. 
And I said, yeah, call it presented by Flat Ground App. We'll make it your content because Rob has been providing a platform for athletes, but what he really wanted to start to do is also provide content for athletes um, for them to learn from, not just a place for them to put their videos out. And so me bringing a content portion, him already having this huge platform, it, it just really worked together. And one day I said, well, I'll, I'll drop that stuff. You promote this. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And from there, it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, and, you know, there, there's no strings attached to our relationship. It's just let's do whatever and combine our content and our platforms and, and see what we can do. And it's it's been good. And I think there's some plans to go forward. Um, there's some serious gaps uh, in in the way recruiting works and in the content that's available and the platforms available for high school athletes. And um, yeah, I think in, in Rob's connection to the major leagues also, I think we have some ideas for the future. So it's been well, really, it's been good. That's funny because with your college recruiting up, so when did you start doing the college recruiting visit or not recruiting, just the college visits going to campuses uh, and showing what they're about? that was i think we did our first one in like november See, it's funny because i did the same i had an idea last maybe last spring to basically go to colleges and participate in a workout and like basically show what it is to be like a recruit at any given or a, a player at any given college like i'm gonna live the life of you know johnny at university of maryland for a day run around do their workout like show like exactly what it's like and then you've done a similar thing. So it's like, it's kind of like funny. It's the same thing with you and Rob. Like, I didn't know you existed. I, I did see you doing that in the, with, in the summer. I'm like, oh, cool. Someone's doing this different kind of like different take than I was going to do. But still, I have to disclose this now. So you don't think I just stole your idea while we're here on the, on the, on the show. But, you know, it's, it's funny. There's everyone has ideas just like the Simpsons. People go back to the Simpsons. Like anything you do funny on TV. It's like, oh, the Simpsons did it 20, 20 years ago. Right. Um, but I think that makes sense that you just joined forces and tried to combine your ideas where it could reach a, a greater audience. Yeah. I think since getting out of coaching a few years ago and turning into the recruiting stuff, my mind has been working more creatively on, okay, what, where do I go next or what can I do with this platform? And, and I think I've so many times I've run into that where I'm like, Oh, this is genius. Let me look it up and see if anybody else is doing it. It's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Of course somebody's doing this. I'm not, the, I'm not the first one to think of this idea. Yeah. So it's hard to think of new ideas at this point, I think. Well, it is. And I think one of the things as a content creator is that it, I think a lot of people just struggle to get started. I mean, like imagine you're someone who's passionate about like makeup, for example, there's a sea of makeup YouTubers, right? Some incredible ones. But at the end of the day, like what people have told me and what I've told a lot of other people is like, yeah, but maybe they want to hear it from you. You know, like you just like as a baseball coach, you have, you'll have 20 coaches in your career maybe. And you might really bond with one and not bond with the other. They might have essentially the same message, but you just really like look up to a certain guy or a certain girl. And, you know, it's just, it's always your packaging and your message. So for me, I always keep that in mind when I'm doing my pitching stuff. It's like, even if someone else has made a similar video, I'm not trying to copy them. I'm just trying to give you my take on it, you know, and maybe you listen to me or maybe you listen to John Madden, who's a great uh, pitching YouTuber, or you listen to this guy and people are going to listen to him if they like him better. And they're going to listen to me if they like me better or they'll listen to both. It doesn't really matter. So I think right. that's a, always an important thing to take away because people great, get overwhelmed. Yeah, that's a really good point you make because I think that is 
Um, that's what I try to do. Like when you say it's tough to create new ideas or do something that somebody else is doing, the way you can be new or different is in your presentation of the content, which mm-hmm. is what you're talking about. And so that's what I've tried to do. And it's, you know, it's a learning curve because it, I think one of the ways in my area to, to bring, um, I don't know, a new perspective to the content is call out all the bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. and be very clear and point out all of the things that are wrong with the game. But it, but, but where is towing the line to where I don't upset too many people to where they don't want to do business with me anymore? Yeah. You know? There you um, go. That, that curmudgeon Grandpa Simpson hollering at clouds. Exactly. Like Bobby exactly. Stevens. That's Bobby. Exactly. Yeah, I just started thinking about Bobby. I delete a lot of that. tweets. I put these tweets out and I give them like 10 minutes and I'm like, what's my vibe? Yeah, not okay. That was coming down. That's fair. Bobby's a legendary pot star. Yeah, yeah, I'm a definitely a pot star. Josh, I'm looking at your YouTube video. So it's you've got Josh Rudd, college baseball scout. You know, what goes into being a college baseball scout? Like, how are you? How are you helping players? How are you helping families? You know, where, like, where do you see yourself in the mix as far as, you know, being a scout and like a liaison? See, that's, that's, a, that's one of those questions that can get me in trouble because I could go down a road for three hours right now explaining what it is I do in that role. So um, let's try to, so let's try to uh, sum it up or, I'll do my best here. I guess the way that I explain it is I, I have a, I have a role with, it's like I'm in a boxing ring is what I say. And it's going to sound weird, but it's like I'm in the middle of a boxing ring and there's four corners, right? And you got the travel teams in one corner, you got the high school programs in the other, you got the college programs in the other, and then you got the families. So you got college, high school, travel, baseball, and then the family. None of those corners really communicates well, I find. They really don't do a great job of communicating with each other. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, there's a lot of um, resentment at times among the corners. Mm-hmm, so I'm sure. kind of the guy in the middle of the ring who's like, okay, you come over here. You come over here. Let's get together. Let's, let's, let's work this out. Okay, back to your corners. And then bringing two other corners in together. Uh, you know, and just really connecting the group in the best interest of the kid. There's a lot of pride out there among programs. Um, I don't, I don't know. You'd have to ask specific questions for me to get into what's so, wrong. So more specifically, I guess, what would you say is the biggest thing that parents don't know about college baseball in general or college recruiting in general? Oh, that's a simple question. The the biggest mistake that every parent makes um, and every family makes is that they believe it's going to happen organically. Uh, the old saying, you know, Hey, if, if my kid's good enough, somebody's going to find him. That's yeah. the biggest mistake in college baseball recruiting by far. This process does not happen organically. Um, there, there's two things here. Uh, one is identifying a player and one is evaluating a player. They're two totally different things, right? One is get the name of the guy. Two, the other one, evaluate, is go actually watch the guy. And I think that's – I don't think. I know from my experience the identification process is where parents and families um, and a lot of people have it wrong. And that's where a guy like me comes in. 
they think that they're just their name's going to show up and they're going to be identified as long as they go to this perfect game event or this PBR event or this prospect wire event or this Under Armour event or play for this travel team in Atlanta. They think it's just going to happen. What they don't understand is that college coaches, I can't speak for all of them, but many of them, they don't, I don't want to say they don't do the identification stage because obviously they do, but the way that they identify prospects is not the way that families believe they get identified. And what I mean by that is college coaches have some, some really big um, restrictions on them. They don't just go out and look around. They don't go to a field and just look around and say, oh, who's good here today? Yeah. Right? That's not how this works. Um, yeah. And I think that's what families think is that, oh, let's, you know, as long as you play well, somebody's going to see you. No, they have a list of dudes that they know they're going out to see that day and they're going to watch them. And when that kid's off the hill or that kid's not at the plate, the college coach is going somewhere else. Or you they're know, texting or catching up on Snapchat or, you know, right. whatever yeah. they need to right. do. So, so the question yeah. becomes is how do you get your name on that list, right? And that's where people miss the ball. College coaches go to their connections. And if you listen to any of my podcasts or any of the things that I put out there, you'll hear them all say the same thing in that, you know, we go to the guys we trust to get the names. You know, they come to a guy like me and they say, hey, we need a 2022 left-hand hitting catcher with these kind of grades, looking more for defensive side of things. Um, don't care so much about the bat. We don't have money to give them. So if they got these grades, this is the kind of money that they're going to have to pay or whatnot. What do you got? Do you know anybody like that? College coaches rely on their Rolodex of connections to identify players and to get names, right? So to go back to your original question, what don't families understand or what are they missing? It's that part of it. How do they get identified? It's not by going to every showcase and every camp and every travel thing in the world. It's, it's simply by having somebody who a college coach trusts that can put your name on that guy's desk and say, hey, look into this kid. Whether that's me, your travel coach, you know, your neighbor who knows somebody, but there's got to be that connection. Um, and nothing else matters. You, you go to as many showcases as you want, as many camps as you want, and – you know, does it happen randomly? Sure, it happens randomly. I'm not going to sit here and say you need to hire somebody to make it happen. But, again, just watch podcasts, man. Watch the coaches and what they're saying. It's all about getting the names from the people that they know and they trust. And that's where families miss the boat. That was that's, a hot, that's very, very accurate with the families that I deal with. It's, you know – how come I'm not getting looks now? How come I'm not getting, you know, how come? Like you said, that's a hot, you're like, you're going to say it's a hot take, but then you stopped. Like, give, just give, give the man a hot take. I mean, if you earned it. It's, it's it. everyone, like Louisville, Louisville is a big time recruiter in the Chicagoland area. And everybody, I just talked to an eighth grader yesterday. Um, who's like, I want to go to Louisville. And I'm like, I'm like, that's great. But also like the, the evaluation of your own talent. Like the kids at Louisville are not just going to Louisville because they reached out or someone recommended them to Louisville. Like they're unbelievable, unbelievably good baseball players and very mature at, their, at a young age. Like well, and those are the kids. Out. Yeah. And they're probably the only kids who you said it kind of happens organically. Like, so we had a kid who was getting recruited by Louisville as a ninth grader. He hadn't started high school yet. They were calling me because four scouts had seen him play and emailed Louisville and then like five other coaches in the area had also seen him play and then they're like okay something's here and whether that's like exactly organically or not he didn't go to any showcases till he was like a 
sophomore junior, but he was like throwing 88 or something from the outfield, 6'3", super fast. Like had every tool where any baseball people on the field that care are going to be like, who's that kid? Oh, I know someone. I'm going to tell him about that kid. Like the, the very top little tier, you know, the iceberg that's just barely sticking above water, like those kids might get organic organically found would you agree or disagree with that so i i definitely agree with that um is sometimes i've come across people so i've had majority of the guys that i've worked with have gone on to d1s um which to me doesn't matter like at all we can get it we should definitely get into that part later Mm -hmm. um I've got a good Juco tweet I want to want to read and talk through as well. Yeah, so we a majority of my guys have gone to Division One. I've even had guys drafted out of high school into the pros that have worked with me. So some people would look at it and say, well, why, why are those kinds of kids needing a, a recruiter's help or needing your help? Um, they're obviously good enough to play. Listen, everybody I work with is good enough to play. I wouldn't take on a kid that isn't good enough to play. For me, I'm not selling the BS of, oh, you need me to play in college. Like, I've never said that and will never say that to anybody. What I do and the reason that people bring me aboard is to make sure that they find the right college for their kid and the process is done the right way and they don't waste time and money and get pressured into something or – You know what I mean? So why do these kids that are super talented bring somebody on to help them with the process? Yeah, sure. The identification part might happen organically, but the rest of it's a complete shit show that they need help with. And I can tell you that the best players are the ones I have to work the hardest for. Um, I'll give you an example. Okay. So let's say I got a kid right now that's a 2022 or 2023 who's off the charts, top prospect in the country. That kid is going to require me to facilitate so many phone calls, to answer so many questions from coaches, to do so much more work on his behalf because coaches can't communicate directly with that kid. And there's going to be 15, 16, 17, 18 schools trying to get to the kid and trying to get to me about the kid. So that kid that's really good, like, and he's going to be invited to, you know, this invite only and that invite only and blah, blah. Like the kids that are really good, it's more of a circus than the kid that only ends up with two offers. Like that's way easier. Okay. Here's option A, option B. Uh, Pretty simple, you know? So I think people think also that, oh, just because a kid's super good, uh, the recruiting process is easy for them. That's not true either. It's a, terrible setup there's not one person not one coach one player one anything i've ever met that's like oh yeah the ncaa has this figured out it works great uh, it's terrible all the way around for every single kid uh the process uh i know bobby likes that answer <laughs> that's so, a great answer it really so is we'll come back to to some of that but let's shift to juco for a minute and and to more misconceptions about levels. Cause I think this is important. So this tweet I saw the other day by uh, this guy who's he's wearing a Cleveland Indians hat, I guess he's a, a coach or development coach for them. And he says, want to get better, develop, want to develop, go Juco. The training that goes on is incredible. And at this point it's like, okay, um, from moving better to skill acquisition to physical transformations and overall player development, go Juco. Oh, and they've got some pretty good hitting coaches. To me, that's an absolutely nonsensical tweet. Um, there are some JUCOs that have do a great job, have a great experience like that, but that to me sounds like, oh, so this is like the player development goldmine, junior college. 
Do you see it that way? No, I think you hit it on the head that it, are there great player developments at JUCO? Absolutely. Are there at, at NAIA? Yeah. At D3, at D2, at D1. They, there's a lot of great baseball people out there and a lot of great development people out there. So the tweet itself, yes, I agree. It makes it sound like the other levels don't develop is what it sounds like. I don't know. Am I, am I listening correctly? I think, well, I think if you chopped off the first line and you just said, you took the sentence, the training that goes on is incredible from moving better to skill acquisition to physical transformations and player development. I think that's a sentence or a sentence that you apply to SEC baseball or to Pac-12 baseball, because that's probably true. They have incredible facilities, well-paid, like journeyman coaches that have been around for a long time, um, all the resources that you could possibly want. I think this just, this tweet irritated me because if you drive around Illinois, for example, and you stop at all the JUCOs, you see a lot of really crappy fields. You talk to some of the players, you hear, oh, we don't have a pitching coach, or my pitching coach isn't around, or my hitting coach doesn't know how to help me or we don't train, or we don't do that, we don't do this. There are also some powerhouse schools, but the vast majority, I mean, it's just like anything else in the world. I mean, you go to a hospital in the middle of nowhere, are you finding world-class doctors there? Are you finding world-class care there? Maybe once in a while, but on the, on the whole, the best doctors are plucked out, paid better, and sent to Rush and Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. So I think at, at any level, the, the best coaches follow the money, because who doesn't want to get paid reasonably in line with your skill, you know, your skill level, um, you know, you could make $30,000 as a JUCO coach at some places, or you could make a hundred thousand as a, as a higher level coach, depending if you keep doing well and people want to pay you that. Right. So, I mean, all professions, people follow the money, right? I mean, and on the whole, JUCO is going to have less resources, less money. And so coaches are eventually going to leave. And this is again, not true at all programs, but probably the vast majority. So that's my take on it. Where do you fall? And Bob, yeah. I want to hear your opinion too. So there's one thing that I strongly disagree with you on there, and that's going to be that in, in all professions, people follow the money. Because me personally, that's, that you know, money doesn't equal happiness, right? Do what makes you happy. Well, I agree with that. Right. Yeah. I think you find that a lot with high school and junior college coaches out there, where you find a lot of these guys who are like, I love it here. I know I don't make – I know I make pennies for what I'm doing, but there's no better level than this. So I think there is a lot of guys out there. I think there's a, I think at every single level, there's excellent coaches. If there's one thing I learned over quarantine, um, my buddy, who's the pitching coach at FAU, his name's David Cobb. Um, he called me one day and said to me, he goes, you know, do it, what you're doing is, is pretty cool with all these interviews. Like, do you realize the guys that you've been able to interview in a short amount of time? He goes, I kind of want to interview you and ask you, what have you learned and what have you figured out? Um, And after talking through it, he kind of led me to an answer that there's just, what I've figured out is that there are so many excellent baseball minds out there and baseball coaches out there um, that, that we don't know about. And I think at every level to go back to the original question, there's great development. And Mm -hmm. I think at every level there's terrible development. It's just a matter of which program offers, you know, who, who's who at what program, uh, you just gotta, you gotta do your research. I think all of them offer the best and all of them offer the worst. Um, I think junior college, I think there's definitely a, a misconception about junior college that goes back to our generation probably where junior college is for the dumb kids who don't have good grades. 
Uh, that's where they go. And that could not be, maybe that's how it was when we were kids, you know, but that's not how it is anymore. It's a great, great route for kids to go for so many different reasons. Um, you know, saving money. You're going to take the same classes yep. in junior college, whether you're junior college or you're like me at FSU. I just paid 10 times more than the kid who was at, you know, Miami Dade College. Um, you know, so saving money, development is big. These college coaches at the four-year schools, they love junior college guys, man. And who would you rather want? Would you want some 18-year-old twiggy kid out of high school? Um, or would you want some 20-year-old young man with some hair on his chest that's been playing college baseball for two years? And you only got to give him a scholarship for two years. And he's going to come in and play right away. Um, so there's that, that part of it that college coaches like about them. Again, the ability to balance the books and um, yeah, I don't. Junior college is great, man. It's great, and I know that you're not saying it's not great. You're no, not at all. I know that's not where you're going. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just was too. It was too original thing again. It's just I think junior college has so much to offer that's overlooked. Are there bad ones? Yeah, there's bad ones. Are there good ones? There's great ones, but that can be said of any level. Yeah, it was too rosy of a of a of a generalization to me because. I have a kid right now who reached out to me two weeks ago and he's like, Hey, I don't have a pitching coach. I feel way off. I don't know what to do. Like he's out of college. He's a college baseball player and literally has no one to help him. I've so it's like, you, you got to balance those two things. Oh, it's a great player development experience, huh? Well, not for this guy, you know? And right. of course that could be true at D one as well. I didn't have a pitching coach in my D one until my senior year. Well, there's no doubt that the resources that are available at the lower levels are lower. Are, yeah. Are, are lower. I mean, they're just yeah. not, the money for it, mm-hmm. you know, no doubt about that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, where do you, where do you fall on this? I love Juco. Big fan of Juco. So a lot of the issue I find with kids when you present them junior college is that they're so good in school. Like you, they've been preached to have good grades and good grades will get you scholarship money more than athletics. And then you mentioned junior, junior college to them and they can't wrap their head around it, especially if they're private school kids. Like we have a lot of private. Do they school feel like they life. wasted their high school effort. Is that kind not of not necessarily why? wasted, but you know, you're, if you're a, you know, three, nine, 4.0 kid at a, at a private school in, in the North side of Chicago, I mean, Catholic league is prominent league in the Midwest for athletics, not to mention the expense it costs to go to some of these, these private schools. I mean, you're kind of paying, you're going to a prestigious high school, that's got a good name for academics. And then I'm, I'm pitching to them uh, some of the junior colleges in the area, Triton Junior College, Oakton, that are good baseball schools, like very good baseball schools with good reputations. But then it's, did I waste all this time? Like, am I going to get anything out of this education if I've got to go to junior college? I'm not going to get any academic money at necessarily a junior college. Um, is my, are my high school grades going to translate if my junior year if I do end up going to a four-year school? So yeah. you need to be a certain kind of player or person uh, with, all, with a, a certain type of parent. I mean, if a lot of parents don't want to hear that, you know, as much as the younger generation might see junior college as like an opportunity and, you know, a little bit cheaper than, say, FS, you know, FSU, if you're going to Miami-Dade, the parents see it as the same thing that, like, maybe my parents saw it as. Well, the less smart kids are going to junior college. Like, my son is very smart. He should go to a four-year school. Yeah, but your son doesn't want the four-year school options that I'm presenting to him, which might be a Division three when he feels like he's Division two or maybe even Division one. So yeah. I love junior college. I probably my closest college 
friends that are in coaching are in junior college. It's just not for everybody. Like it's not a, you can't just push it at everybody because it's, there is a stigma still amongst probably more so the parents. You, you let me build off that because you're a hundred percent right. And I, and it, and it drives me crazy um, that parents do this because there's, it's just so, it's so short sighted, right? Like the goal is let's look out for your kid for the long term. Let's get your kid to a, a great degree to hang up on the wall right? It doesn't matter where you go the first two years. I understand that you might be as a parent, you might feel embarrassed for two months when Johnny's going to Harvard and Leslie's going to Georgia Tech and your son's going to the community college, even though he's got the same grades. But in the end, if going to that community college is the avenue that gets you that degree from Duke, who cares? In, In two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, yeah, they're going to be going to a graduation at Georgia Tech and at Harvard, and you'll be going to a graduation at Duke. Who cares? And you got to play at Duke. Like, it's so short-sighted, and it's selfish. I see JUCO decisions as parents. It's parents' fault. I'm going to call them out. I don't care. Kids are okay with the JUCO route. There's been enough education for kids. They've seen enough players go the JUCO route. It's parents who are anti-JUCO, and it's because it's our generation, and that stigmatism is there. Yeah. Oh, it's for dumb kids. So the reason kids don't go JUCO, higher academic kids, is because of the parents, not because of the kid. I deal with it all the time. And I try to get across to them, who cares? There's in recruiting, there's we we hit these forks in the road. But at the end, it doesn't matter as long as we get to the castle, we win. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter what roads you go down and understand that there are different roads to go down. And one might be less sexy than this one. But if it leads to the end game, then 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 we've done our job. And, and it's a huge problem that kids could go JUCO and they're being simply told by parents like, you're not going to JUCO. We didn't do this for you to go to a junior college to play baseball. Right. Well, the yeah. castle, the castle you talk about is interesting, too, because it's not always the same castle. Like they're not, not everyone's striving for the big league castle or the professional baseball opportunity cast or even a division one opportunity cast. So like a lot of kids, like we, I have a lot of kids in my program that are 17, you know, going in their senior year and they want engineering degrees or they want, they want to get into like pre-law. So we're Juco might not be the best option for them based on the career path they want. They want to play baseball, but it's like their career is in the, in the back of their mind. Like their career is pretty much set. Like this is the avenue they want to go. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. That's, that's great. That's great that you know it at such a young age. Uh, I probably wouldn't recommend you go to a junior college, especially if you have an opportunity to play at a school that's got your major that can kind of advance you through that uh, class course a lot quicker than maybe taking some of those classes at junior college, having to transfer, especially yeah. if you don't want that higher level of baseball. Like if you're not striving to go to SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and you're not striving, like if you're not you know, scratching the cusp of, of big-time baseball – it's it's nice to come across kids that have like a, a level perspective on their talent and maybe where they want to go in life as opposed to a kid who just says D1 or bust or I'm trying to play pro ball and they they just yeah. kind of – One, if they do want to play pro ball, because this was another tweet that I had an issue with like a couple of weeks ago, and this was right around the draft because um, a guy tweeted out that 
there was like a, a top three round pick. I think I had a D three this year, a pitcher, right? He was like a mid mid nineties thrower. And the tweet was like, it kind of implying that baseball was changing and that you can easily go pro from any level, which really isn't true. If you look at the numbers, because if you, and this is what I tweeted back. I said, you know, this is great. It's good to see the, and especially with pitchers, you definitely can go D three and go wherever. If you throw 95, you're getting a shot in pro ball. Right. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, D3 players, there's like 12, 12 drafted a year on average every year out of 1,200 players. So when you talk about these roads to the castle, if you really want to be a pro player and you're a high schooler and you're not a D1 guy yet or you're, you know, you're just not there, it makes more sense to skip D3, go JUCO, try to develop, then jump to a higher level because that's where guys are getting drafted from. Would you agree there? Yeah, I mean, yes. It- Overall, to your point, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. You know? um, but I also preach all the time that if you if you want to play professional baseball, there's one thing you have to do in college. There's only one thing. There's one thing in common that every single draft pick, every single pro player has in common when it comes to their college experience, and that's they were on the field performing, you know, they were on the field performing. So the bottom line is it can happen, right? Percentage wise, obviously, you know, yeah, the, the higher level you're at D one, the better competition and you're performing there, you have a better chance, but you got to bet on yourself at some point. Also, you know, bottom line is if you're good enough, you're good enough. Um, I don't believe that that's the case. Hey, if you're good enough, you'll get seen for the college level. But I do believe that's the case at the major league level or the pro level. Like that's their job. They have millions of they put millions of dollars into scouting departments or you know that that scour the earth for players. So if you're on the field performing at a college level, I always I always say they'll a pro team will happily give you eight hundred dollars a month to ride on a, a school bus in Sioux Falls, Dakota and give you six weeks to prove yourself, you know. <laughs> Um, but you have to be on the field. So yes and no to your point. Like, I mean, I think yes, in, for, for most of your point, like, yeah, the higher levels, obviously the better the competition, if you're performing there, you're going to get a shot. But I do think it's important for kids and families to understand that you can get to the castle from the other, from the other avenues, as long as you're good enough. Like if you go D3, like, yeah, you, you better be one of the best five players in, in that level. You know, yeah, but you entire country you can't yeah. get there. But mm-hmm. I would rather you have a better chance of going professionally. I think being a dude at the D three level than you do not not playing at a D one level. Like you got to be on the field and producing. No doubt. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, position players drafted from D three is essentially nil. I mean, there's pitchers and catchers making up that ten or twelve guys drafted from D three. It's like eight pitchers and catchers. So. You know, there's something in the water, I mean, not in the water, but there's something there where maybe college scouts or pro scouts go out to a D3 game, look at a shortstop. And they're like, I just don't know because you're facing 84, 85, 86 every day. I just don't, I just don't know if this plays to the next level. It seems like there's something there. Bobby, you made that point too. But, you know, yeah, you're right. right that if you're good enough, but you're right, just the standard of being good enough at D3 is one of the top players in the entire country versus – you know, one of the top players in your conference potentially, but you're right. You have to be on the field. I mean, that, that was your point. 
Jim Chester talked about this. He's the head coach at Gardner Webb when I visited uh, him, and because he coached and had a lot of success at many different levels, including the NAIA level. And I asked him this question, like, "Can you get drafted out of anywhere?" And he was like, "Yes, you can get drafted out of anywhere, um, but you got a much better shot if you're a D1 player because the level of competition. You know, we're saying that you have to perform on the field. You have to be on the field, and you have to." in order to get a chance professionally. But if you could do that against the best competition, then yeah. obviously your chance of getting is, is yeah. way better than if you're doing that. You know, you could be the best player on a Division three team, but the competition you're playing might just not be good enough to prove that you're as good as yeah. what we might think, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah, well, like Dansby Swanson, I don't know what he hit his his draft year, but it wasn't like 390. Wasn't it like something pretty normal, like – 320 or something and you think wow the the number one pick in the country only hit like 320 and i could be wrong with this number but i don't think it was like outlandish but again you're talking about sec pitching like legit like pretty much pro pitching every day so you're like okay well that clearly plays at the next level even though the first two would bat yeah Yeah. we're 280 in the sec you're crushing it yeah you're talking extremes right like sec and a division three i mean a Division three in Chicago had third baseman drafted a couple of years ago. He only lasted a half season, um, which was probably like you're like, hey, let's see if you can handle it or not. But he did get drafted. And he, I've seen him play as a good player, athletic. Like he looks the part. But I mean, if you're not like take the extremes away, if you're a kid who's who's going to be on an SEC team, you're getting recruited, you're going to go to South Carolina, but you're never going to play, and you're from let's say the Chicago area, it makes total sense for you to say, okay, I'm good enough to play at South Carolina. That means I'm good enough to play at UIC. And I'll Mm -hmm. probably play a lot more at UIC. That's not a knock on UIC. That's just the fact that South Carolina is going to draw the best of the best of the best. And every kid on that team is going to be a superstar. Whereas UIC is going to draw the best, but the back end of that roster is probably not going to ever get recruited by South Carolina. So in that in that regard, you have a much better chance of playing there. That's not to say that you're going to play there just because it's a Midwest school over an SEC school. But if you're a big fish in a little pond, and that pond is still a Division One pond, like that's where you need to be. You need to be on the field. I mean, that I was similar to my high college path. I mean, I went to Northern Illinois University, and that's not by any means a baseball powerhouse. Um, and it was probably the, the last baseball powerhouse. It is the Northern, Northern Illinois, Illinois University, Huskies. the Harvard of the Midwest. Uh, but I, that, I say it all the time. It's like that was not even a thought in my mind. I mean, from some of the letters I was getting and the visits I, w- I had lined up and were going on, but it hit two key points in my recruiting, and that was the scholarship money that I was looking for and the playing time. I mean, they basically told me I would start day one walking on the campus which is rare for a college but for someone to say that to you it means you're at least going to get the opportunity to be on the field and short-sighted for them like did they see you like did they they didn't have you mixed up was this a like an identity theft thing (laughs) like donald trump his his baseball recruiting visit he sends a guy who's like six seven he's like oh hello (laughs) mr trump oh yes my my, one of my best friends from high school went there so that's like kind of how that was like the link And they're like, we're not going to lie to you. Like, we don't have another shortstop on the roster next year. That doesn't mean you're going to start every game. That doesn't mean you're going to start at all. But it's yours to lose when you walk in. Yeah. Let's talk about that. 
I don't think you find I don't think you also find a lot of D three coaches out there who don't recognize that situation. Like they know, you know, these are lifelong baseball guys who love the game. They're not, they're not, I don't think from my experience that they're recruiting kids. Um, some of them are, but for the majority of them recruiting kids promising like, Hey, you're going to go pro out of here. Hey, you're going to have a fair shot of going pro out here. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the D three schools, they're very realistic. They understand what, you know, what they are and what they offer. And it's a great baseball experience, a chance to develop usually at a very high academic school. Um, it's better than being in a fraternity and just drinking and doing stupid shit all day. Um, and that's, you know, it's a lifestyle for their players. And yeah, you get to play baseball in the meantime. And if you can work your tail off and develop without these state of the art facilities and resources and all that, then you'll have a shot. But I think most division three coaches that I've come across are very realistic about that as well as this is not, you know, in, in like you said, if there's a kid that's almost good enough to be an sec player, there's no way they're ending up in a D three. No way. Maybe, maybe right. a half a percent, like they'll go Juco first and then they'll go D one mm-hmm. or, or they'll go wherever, you know, D two or a lower end D one. So I think division three coaches are pretty realistic about what they have to offer. And, it, and it's still something great for kids. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of them will go after the fringe guys, the the guys that oh, maybe they're getting a few looks from, you know, maybe a, a mid-major division one, maybe a walk-on spot. Like they'll go after those guys. because Those guys could be superstars and maybe they're a little bit more physically advanced than some of the division three kids that they're recruiting otherwise. Or those kids that are fringe guys go JUCO, like you said, and then they figure their own way, whether they make it to Division One or they end up not progressing and they fall behind, they end up at Division Three or wherever they end up. It's just the like their path is different. But if you're a kid who's a who's a dude who's a no doubt Division One player and you've got some options, I think it makes sense to go to the spot where you're going to be the guy or at least one of the the main guys as opposed to one of many guys. And one of many guys is those big schools. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, there's also the fact that Division threes are typically high, much higher academic schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is hard to be a great athlete and a great student at the high school level. It's extremely hard to do. I had uh, Nathan Pavelcheck who pitched at Winthrop and was in the White Sox organization. I think he's a free agent right now. Um, go pick him up, anybody listening. Great kid. Um, <clears throat> right-hander who said that, uh, you know, and he, his dream was to go to Notre Dame uh, and that he had pretty much everything in line. His class rank just wasn't high enough to get into Notre Dame. So he ended up at Winthrop, which worked out great for him. And, and it was a phenomenal situation. But I asked him, I said, would you have worked harder in the classroom if you knew that that would have been the difference to getting to Notre Dame? And he said, I couldn't. Like, I couldn't have been as good of a baseball player as I was mm-hmm. and be as good of a ba- uh, student. Like, it, it just couldn't happen. So Division threes are up against that where the, the market for them is thin. It's hard, man. It's hard to be a super academic student, which D3s require, and then a top athlete also. And if a kid does fit that role, Ivy Leagues eat them up, Bucknell's eat them up, and Lafayette's and George Washington's, you know, they get eaten up by those schools uh, quickly. So for division threes to find top talent, you know, can they offer something great? Yes. But getting those players, the talent pool for them 
um, is is not deep. It just it's hard to get those players because it's really hard to yeah. be a phenomenal student and a phenomenal athlete at the same time at the high school level. Yeah. So you need to offer that service. So he's like, hey, Josh, like I'm class rank 43rd. Like, can you do something? You send your mob guys over to the kids above him in school, and you're like, you're gonna flunk this next test. Yeah, Snap, snapping their pencils, you know, something yeah, rockets was, up the chart, goes to the school yeah. of his dreams. Yeah, I was working with this lady who used to be on Full House, actually, the show Full House, on trying to get some of those <laughs> kids in college. Yeah, yeah everyone needs a mentor, kind of right? Of, yeah, that fell through. <laughs> um, That's awesome. The Well, I had a question. Where'd it go? So let's talk a little bit about some of those high academic schools. So I'm in the DC area. I, I watched Georgetown and, and GW and a bunch of local schools play before the season got banged. And it's funny that, especially from like, it seems like the people who are super into the driveline side of stuff, there's like this idea of like 90 poo, like 90 miles per hour is junk nowadays. And, uh, it's great to reach for the sky, you know, like Woody from toy story or, uh, no, what's buzz Lightyear, But, when I went to all these games in the area, I saw Maryland play, I saw my alma mater, UMBC play, again, GW, Georgia, all these schools. I saw very few pitchers sitting 90. The vast majority, 86, 89, something like that, um, where it's clear, and I have a couple of scout friends in the area, and they said the same thing. They're like, look, throwing 90 and above the whole game as a starter in college baseball is still a lot more rare than people realize. It's less rare than it was five or even three years ago or 10 years ago, especially. But would you agree that when people think I've got to throw 92 to have a chance, is that realistic or is it still not quite there? There's a lot of velo chasing going on in recruiting um, for sure. But uh, no, you don't, you don't need to throw 92. Um, not at all. I think vo- what velocity means at the high school level it means that a lot of other parts are working for you as a pitcher, right? It, it means the arm must work. The bottom half works. A lot of things are in sync as Wake Forest, uh, Tom Walter taught me force into the ground must be good. So I think velocity, that's what kids might be missing the point on. Um, velocity at the high school level is an indicator that the car is running well, that the parts are moving well and working together well. Um, and, and I think the kids that have really good velocity at the high school level work on that. They're not just working on throw, you know, throw a weighted ball. The driveline program is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not. Right, right. At all. I don't, don't want to be, Rob, Rob thinks, yeah. Rob thinks I, I am anti driveline weighted ball. I'm not. I'm yeah. anti kids looking at it on YouTube, picking up a weighted ball and trying to do it themselves. Yeah, that wasn't my point. My point is the right. culture is right. like. They they want you to be beyond ninety, which I get. No, I mean, no, but ninety I mean, is not who. That's that's my point. No, and who throws? Who when you talk about? Oh, you know, hit ninety. You threw ninety once. The rest of the game, you were eighty-five, eighty-seven. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, the there is, but there is velo chasing going on. It doesn't matter. Like it is reality that you know, if a coach sees an email or sees a kid that top ninety. You know, hey, six four top ninety versus hey, six four top eighty five. The top ninety is getting opened first. That email. 
Yeah, there's a, I have a little anecdote about one of our guys. He was a two-way guy. Now he's a senior. Um, I won't mention the school he ended up going to, but he's like a, he's like a 87, 89 touch 90, like a legit 87, 89 for a good five innings. And I reached out people say now he's, I'm a legit 87. Oh, you know what I mean? Said no one ever. 89 is the worst number in pitching history. But there's a guy that, you know, there's guys that are 88, the first inning, 81, the second inning. So like he's a I got he's you. A, a good arm, and I reach out to a school, and it, the school kind of brushed me off, and I and I'm like, I know who's on your staff. You don't have guys mm-hmm. sitting ninety ninety four. I said to, to to throw away that this maybe you don't trust me, which ended up being the case. Like he just didn't didn't trust that I was giving him the right information, and the information was given to him by somebody else, and then the kid ended up getting a spot in the team, which is great for the kids. They had nothing to do with me, like personally. Um, like I, I didn't care that he didn't trust me as long as the kid got where he should, should have gone. But like some of these, there's a misconception that some of these big or mid-major schools have, I went to Northern Illinois. I mean, we had maybe three guys in the staff that yeah. were touching 90 or, or let alone sitting 90 on the roster. And I know it's not changed all that much. I mean, I've seen enough college baseball games to know that, you know, the mid-major school in Indiana or, anywhere in the Midwest, they don't have a staff, a weekend staff of guys that are 90-94. They don't. Like, I, I've seen it. They have a couple guys that will touch 90, that maybe one, maybe the Friday guy's 90-91. But for the most part, everyone falls into that, like, that 87 to 92 range, I would think. Like, it's a it's a big cluster in there. Uh, Josh, do you see that as far as, like, Division One schools when you're when you're talking to pitching coaches? Am I wrong? Are there more guys that are just I'm so confused about what your question is right now? So, like, I, I, I think like you're saying the same thing that I was saying, which is yeah, I'm on the point of that. There's D1 most baseball of these Division one schools don't have guys that are 90, 94 up and down the rotation. They've got maybe no, one or two. Not guys. even close. So not that's even. that's my point is that the misconception right. that that everybody when you walk on a Division one campus is. 90-94 and their top end guys are 96-98 like that's not a that's not real life not even close I mean watch professional baseball you know like how many of these guys I mean okay these guys yes these guys throw 90 but they're low 90s most of them are like low 90s yeah. in the minor leagues it's not as many as you think in the yeah, mid uppers like, yeah yeah like what well, you think college kids are just hanging out at 91 92 all day like that's not the case they're not all you know what you see on TV in June. That's, that's the problem is that, you know, I think that you can say that about anything in life, but what kids and families think is normal is what they see on TV to them. That's normal. Right. And what they, I always ask kids um, and families this, I, I like to ask them the question. So kids from like Florida, for example, I say, can you name me 10 schools right now outside of Florida that don't have the name of the state or the word state in it. So Florida State would break both of those rules, right? Or North Carolina State would break both. And they can't. They can't do it. They cannot name 10 schools that don't have either the name of the state or the word state in it. It just shows they don't, they don't know anything, right? All they know is what they see on TV. And that's great. Like, these programs are excellent. The Clemsons and the Vanderbilts and the Floridas and, you, you know, the Pepperdines. You go on and on and on. But that's not normal. You know, that's not normal at all. And that is what they believe is normal. And you're right. I mean, the short answer is yes, you guys are both 100% right. That's not normal. 
Well, and it's, we had a kid that worked at our facility who was finishing his senior year at a local D1. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, and he didn't get a lot of playing time his junior year and his senior year. He wasn't getting many innings. And the conversation that he had at the end of his junior year, like his exit interview, was just astonishing. And this was this uh, staff that he had then got cleared out after that season. So we got a whole new staff. They've been doing way better. Like they do super well now. But anyway, they told him like, yeah, if you want to, if you want to pitch for us as a reliever, which he was a reliever, you know, you've got to be like two walks or less per nine and at least 11 strikeouts per nine. And we're like, in what world, like do you as like a mid major say that's the standard here to get innings for us. Like, screw you. Like, that's ridiculous. Oh You're not even that good. You won 20 games. Dude, like, I like, get way worse. It's crazy. It's so great. Man, I've heard – so I reach out to coaches all the time to get requests from them. Hey, what are you looking for in this class or that class, right? And I just had it the other day. Um, obviously, I'm not going to name the school. But I have these schools that are – at the D3 levels or the lower end D2 levels in some really cold state telling me we're looking for a front arm lefty that's, you know, 87 plus. Like, in what <laughs> okay. world do you get that? That kid is – Who do you have on your Chris Sale types? Yeah. yeah. Like, what? They're, yeah, <laughs> I have the same thing, same problem. Yeah. So that, well, that's what's the, what's the most unrealistic or like an expectation that you've heard from parents when they when they call you about recruiting? Like, what's what's just the mind blowing? I'm just I'm just fishing for stories now. What's what's the best story you've got from a parent as far as talking to you and their unrealistic expectations of where their where their kid might be baseball wise? Ooh, see, so I won't deal with people that are the outlandish. Um, that are just crazy off the wall. I mean, of course you'll get everybody that starts with D one and I don't, I don't blame them. It's fine. That's great. Um, I think I think the one thing that people don't realize is they're always asking about like money as if they can make college free because their kid plays baseball. Like that's, that's not how it works. Um, outlandish stories. I mean, I don't have one specific. I think it's pretty much the norm of, of what you hear, you know, want my kid to play D1, want him to play at an ACC school. Well, look, he's, he's five, nine and you know, he runs a seven, four, like that's, it's not happening. Um, the, yeah. we don't want to pay anything for college, um, thing a lot. Like that's not, that's not real. So I asked because I had one this week that I feel like would top everybody. So I'm talking with I'm talking with a guy whose whose son is going into fourth grade, fourth grade, and he said he's looking for a program that. So our little backstory: our kids that are about to be freshmen in co- are going into freshman college. We've got three Division One schools: we've got Northern Illinois, um, Miami of Ohio, and Michigan State, and then we had a Chicago State, but Chicago State lost our program. So so we had four. And he tells me he's really looking more for a program that can get his son to the to an SEC school, and he's ten. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like in my head, I'm thinking like, yeah, your son's like he's pretty good, I guess, for ten. Like I see a lot of ten year olds. Like he's not, he didn't strike me as like a thirteen year old when he when he walked up. Like he looks like he's nine. Yeah, got a good swing. And, only eats like a little bit of boogers. Like good grass it's picker. Just, it was absurd. You know? He said that, and I laughed like audibly out loud. I was like, "SEC? What? What are you 
What do you mean that he's he's ten? Like this is absurd. the The comment is absurd. But did you play at an SEC school or or in pro ball? Like let's get back to you know what did you give him genetically that you think this kid is going SEC at nine years old? And it was yeah. just, it was an absurd conversation. Like it never needed. Obviously, it's a rare conversation, but it just happened recently. So I felt I feel the need to share it to the whatever world we're talking to right now. Yeah, we're Bobby's we're Bobby's recruiting therapy. Um, I mean, come on, ten yeah. years old. Yeah. Well, let let's talk about the current crop. So I got a question from YouTube and uh, parents asking, "Your kid's going to be a senior next year. How hard is it going to be?" to get recruited in this, maybe he means the COVID situation, but for kids who are entering their senior year next year, what's on your list of things uh, for them to do to maximize their, their chances? Um, first of all, you know, you have to be, you have to understand what schools you should be targeting, right? Like that's number one is really identifying who you are as a player. And you need to do research on that. So look at your metrics, look at your size, look at, you know, everything about your resume and pretend like you're going in and looking for a job. And, you know, it's your resume. It's this other guy's resume. Well, you have to understand what does the other guy's resume look like, right? So what I mean by that is if I am trying to lock up a scholarship with a, a Florida Southern, right, a D2, well, let me go look at their roster, and let me go look at their kids in their history in perfect game and on prep base. What were they doing at my age? Like, what does my resume look like compared to the kids on their roster? You have to figure out what kind of player you are and be realistic about it. Right. So that to me is always step one, understanding where do you project and not just as an athlete, but as a student as well. What do your test score? So where does your talent athletically project to? Where does it fit? And where do your grades project and fit? And, and once you've found that box, once you identify that box, and that's part of the big problem is people don't want to be realistic about where you are, mm -hmm. right? Um, but once you've found that, then you simply get out there and you start reaching out to these teams that, that fit in that box by a lot of video, sending your transcripts, showing legit interest with unique personalized emails um, and being relentless. You know, I, I put a tweet out there a few weeks ago um, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of my stages of development with college coaches. And it was something along the lines of, you know, who is this guy? He's annoying, right? Um, like he's persistent. Wow, he cares, right? And you got to go through those stages of just – persistence and keep reaching out and ask for real answers. Um, so find, find your box where you target and get them videos, get them transcripts, get them personalized letters and emails to the whole staff and just ask them straight up. Does my, do my videos, do my grades, does it look like something you need? It's really a lot more simple than people think. And I, and I always say to people, if if you're Clayton Kershaw and you reach out to a team and you say, hey, I want to sign with you, and you send an email to the team saying, hey, I want to sign with you guys, how quickly is that team going to respond to you? In, in less than five seconds, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, shit, Clayton Kershaw wants to come here? Like, somebody give me my phone as fast as possible, mm -hmm. right? That's how it is in the college world as well. Like, if they're going to get your stuff. They're going to see your videos. They're going to see your transcripts. Send them to your Twitter page. 
if you're that good, they're going to get on the phone quickly with you, you know? So try a couple times. Um, and that's really what it's about. Like, that's what you should be doing right now as a rising senior. Identify where do you project and just start pushing your information to these guys. Um, so for like, and, and then I'm sorry, let me say one more thing also mm -hmm. on this. That yeah, is yeah. important. And this comes from Clint Chrysler, the pitching coach or one of the coaches at NC state who's been really, really great friend of mine. And, um, one of the only college coaches who's been a mentor actually in my role, like he'll call me and tell me your tweet. You look like an idiot. You should take that off. Um, Clint said to me one time, which has always stuck with me is that the market will speak for itself. And one of the biggest problems in recruiting is that parents and kids don't want to listen to the market. And what that means is if I email every school in the entire country, okay. And the only schools getting back to me are division two schools in the Northeast. Guess who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm that, that's where the market is for me. So focus on that. If I get an offer from the peach belt from a peach belt school, let me look into other peach belt schools, you know? Um, so you have to get out there and you have to hit up a bunch of markets. Like somebody will say, Oh yeah, you know, here's a list of 25 schools. Yeah. But they're all upper end division one schools. So it's basically one market. Cause if one of those schools won't recruit you, neither will the other 30. They're all the same kind of schools looking for the same kind of kid. So you have to get out there to go back to the YouTube question, get your stuff together, understand where you project, get your stuff out there and hit different parts of the market and see who responds to you because that's going to tell you here's where you need to go more of. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point. The way I would explain it to, to high schoolers a lot is, you know, imagine you're in like, the bachelor or something and there's a hundred women and you can offer them roses, whatever. And on one side, there's 10 supermodels, like the prettiest women you've ever seen and at the other end, the other end of the spectrum, you'd start at the top and you offer your rose, to the 10 supermodels. And they're all like, eh -eh. and then you go keep going down. Eh -eh. And then at some point you realize exactly how handsome you are and like, you know, who's, who wants to dance with you. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. If no SEC schools emailed you back, maybe you're not SEC talent. And I think that's pretty, pretty reasonable. What I was going to ask you specifically was, uh, so as people are trying to scan and figure out where they fit in, these are things like comparing your 60 time to other 60 times on like prep baseball report, perfect game, velocity, exit velo, just like the physical metrics and kind of like stacking like I'm, I'm 5'9", 145, this kid's 6'3", 220. Just as, my, as many of the physical metrics as possible to give them a, an idea. Is that a, a general baseline? Yeah, and I don't think it takes hours and hours of, of research. Because I think if you look at um, – you, you can pretty much look at a roster in one conference and find pretty similar metrics across the board in that conference. Obviously, some teams might value speed more than power or size or things like that. But – yeah, just simply browsing through and do the places that you think you want to go. That's where you start, you know, mm -hmm. and just look at what do those kids look like. And you're exactly right. Well, every kid on their roster is six foot one or bigger, or 70% of their roster is D1 transfers and JUCO guys, you know, um, understand what their roster looks like so that you don't waste your time, you know. Um, and the kids just need to, they need to research schools Here's, here's really my biggest thing as in what I do and as a recruiter and helping kids find schools and teaching them. 
The most important thing is that you find a place you can be happy. By far, number one, I preach and preach and preach. Baseball academics put it on the back burner because if you're not happy, those other two things ain't going to work out anyway. You're going to fail in the class. You're going to fail in the baseball field. So you need to find a place where you can wake up every day and enjoy going to school there, even if you don't play baseball, right? And kids don't know how to do that. Right now, they're building these lists just based off where their friends commit or what they see on TV or this or that, right? But <clears throat> I always talk about it, like, is it okay if it's got a religious background? Is that a school that, you know, is okay with you? What if you got to throw bullpens inside of a inside of a basketball gym for a bunch of months? Is that okay with you? Do you care as a white kid if it's a historically black college? Is that okay with you? You know, they need to look at these social and these cultural things about schools first to decide what fits them that will dictate if they're happy or not every day. That's where they need to start. And I always have used College Board, um, collegeboard.com, or if you just Google College Board College Search, which I think is where they all sign up for the ACT, SAT anyway. They have an excellent search engine where you can put in all sorts of filters um, related to this kind of stuff. You know, do you care if you have to live on campus for four years or if you can have a car freshman year? Just all these things that have to do with everyday life. And it will spit back to you a whole bunch of results. And what will end up happening is these kids will find 30, 40, 50 schools they've never heard of in their life. You know, and I yeah. think that that's really important right now that these kids expand their horizon. Stop making lists based off schools you've heard of before and start making lists of schools you've never heard of before and reaching out. That's the, that's some of the best advice you can give a kid. I mean, there's a second hot take. Is this a second hot take? Look, man, that's I'm, two. That's I'm two thus far. Prepping myself for, for podcast takeover here. I need to learn the ropes. Uh, takeover? Why are you going to take it over? Am I leaving? What do I not know? Is there a mob damn, hit out on me, Bobby? Damn, my, my, my stardom is growing as we speak. Um, mm. There's, the kid, the worst is when I is when you ask a kid, and I'll, I talked like to all of our high school kids about recruiting, and the worst is when you ask them where they want to go, and oh, I'll go anywhere, I'll play anywhere. No, you won't. I said, I said, okay, so so your only option is a school in Idaho. Are you going to go there? And they're like, yeah. I, I go exactly. I go, it's not anywhere. I go, you're not just going to go anywhere. And some of them will give me the answer like, yeah, I'll go there. I go, okay, the school has 50 kids in it, and it's in the, and you can only get there by driving. It's a 27 hour drive. If you're going to go there, I said, you can major like, in cow milking. I'm on, I'm on the same page. I get, I get what I get a lot of times is, you know, okay, what's the priorities for you? Well, D1 baseball, um, and I need a, a really good scholarship, and I'll go anywhere to do that. Okay, great. Well, guess <laughs> where you're going? Me too. You're going into the military, my friend. You are going straight to Air Force, Navy, Army. That, oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to do you said D1 anywhere with a good scholarship. There you go. And good education. Um, so I'm with you, Bobby, 100% on that. 100%. They got no idea. I'll go anywhere to play. No, you won't. You'll be miserable. Just think of all the kids that you hear every year come back home and you're like, oh, why is he home? He didn't, he didn't get to play there. And he's like, no, he was starting. He just he didn't like it. Yeah. That's, so he they didn't. didn't pay attention to the things that matter. Well, let's, especially let's, if you're in a different part of the country, like, you know, you, you're familiar with where you grew up and then all of a sudden you go to rural Kentucky. Like, did you think you were going to like the 
the cow pasture, and maybe you do, maybe the kid, maybe you thought you were going to like it, or maybe you visited and did like it and didn't when you got there. But I mean, if you're not familiar with the surroundings or at least the demographic at the school. Yeah. Well, let's talk about coaching personalities because there are definitely some psychopaths in college sports of all, I mean, I hear it on all men's women's. I mean, we have like a pretty, my, my academy was, we did a lot of strength training for all athletes. So we had a pretty diverse, wasn't just baseball boys going off. There's softball, a lot of volleyball women going off and playing. So we've heard a lot of stories of why kids transferred over the years, like why they weren't happy in their D one. How much do you feel like you can actually learn about a coaching staff in the recruiting process? So I'm getting recruited by five D ones. I end up picking, you know, um, refrigerator state, I go to refrigerator state. I felt pretty good about their coaching staff. Like they seemed cool to visit, but then I get there and the dude's the biggest dick I've ever met. And I hate my life and he makes my life miserable. Is that common? Like how much can you really figure out whether these coaches are good people, whether they care about you, their personality, is it easy or is it hard? Um, so for my guys, it's not common because they know what they're doing and, and what we should be doing to make sure we avoid something like that is it commonplace elsewhere I, I honestly don't know i can only speak for my guys and, and our experiences um the the key to it and so one of my college tour trips was at elon and with coach kennedy the head coach and i kind of went down this road a little bit with him um and and he gave advice that said ask the tough questions and i talk about that with my guys a lot like ask questions d during the recruiting process. Don't be scared to ask questions um, that you think he might be offended by. Like, oh, I don't want to upset the coach. I don't want him to stop recruiting me. If it's a question you want to know and you need to know, then ask it. And if he doesn't answer it, well, then you shouldn't go to school there. That's not the kind of guy you want to be around. Mm -hmm. Like, If you have legitimate questions about your future and to make a decision about your future, then a college coach should be willing to answer any of them. And if they're not, then it's not a personality match for you. Don't go there. So the way to avoid that situation that you're talking about is to ask a lot of questions, make sure you visit, request a Zoom call at this point with the pandemic with you and your family. If you need another Zoom call, request it. If they really want you, then they'll do it with you. But the way to avoid getting into that is to ask a lot of questions, to communicate a lot beforehand. And also what Coach Kennedy said and some other coaches have said to me is just look at the track record. Go back and look at the history of the roster. Is it a rotating door of guys or not? Like that will speak volumes to you as well. No, you're on mute. So Bobby, got any take on that? Yeah, I have jackhammering going on in my building, so I've been – following Josh. Josh seems like he's got the mute thing down. Oh, I never yeah. use mute. I want, I want people to hear my breathing even. Well, normally I have kids running around a dog barking and crazy shit going on. So I have to learn how to use that button. Gotcha. Bobby, what's your take on kids transferring, struggling with personalities? And of it's, course there's some of this is the player. Like sometimes you, and we hear this in pro Bowl all the time, which is, Oh, that coach is a jerk. Like I didn't get along. That's why I transferred or, people make things political or they make it the coach's fault, his personality when really people, when they feel like they're getting, you know, some people just feel like they're getting screwed when they don't get what they want, which well, that's before, not really the case either. Sometimes if I can jump in before Bobby goes on that, like you make a great point there. Like sometimes the coach is showing their true colors 
but you're not paying attention to it. You're just caught yeah. up with how nice the facility is or how good the baseball team is. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of coaches out there, yeah, who might be a, a, a little bit hardcore, but they make that clear ahead of time. You just choose to, ah, oh, it might not be as bad when I get there. You know, he's probably just tough on the surface. So I think there's that too, where kids make the mistake of not not picking up on the clues and, and the information given to them and just, oh, look at their uniforms. Like I could deal with coach. And then, well, no, you can't when you get there. Well, also the personality match too. And I'll give you an example for, I do kick it back to Bobby. So when I got Tommy John surgery in college, my goal was to get the best surgeon that I possibly could. And I did not care about any other factor. So when I did this, I sought out Craig Morgan, who was uh, Kurt Schilling's doctor. He's a huge dick. I mean, he spent 45 seconds with me, made it very clear that he wanted to spend essentially no time in the, uh, in, in the, the room with me. Like he just wanted to like come in, uh, this is what we're doing, blah, 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 and I'm out. Like didn't want to answer questions, no bedside manner, whatever. I didn't care. I just wanted the best possible hands to do my surgery. Now I had a close friend on the team who is just like a more like, how you doing? Like really like caring kind of guy. And he's like, I went to a visit with him and he got, cause he got surgery like maybe like four months after me. He's like, I don't want to get surgery by him. He's like, I need a doctor that I can talk to. I need a doctor that's going to spend some time with me. And I thought it was really profound and wise that he made that decision for himself because he recognized like, I can't, I don't want that for me. Me, I just need the plan. I just need to know it was done and I was going to do the rest. That was fine. So I could have probably handled any college coach around the country. You could bark at me all day. I'm fine. But other, other players might not, like my friend, more sensitive guy, and he made a, a very, like I said, profound, good choice for his personality, getting a, a surgeon that fit him. So I think the same goes for coaches. Sorry, Bob. So what's your take on personality clashes? Um. Oh, I think a lot of it has to do with who else is helping you in the recruiting process. Like if you're talking to, if Josh is helping you in the recruiting process and he, and he sets up maybe a call or a visit with a school or pushes you into, you know, pushes you a list of schools. I don't, I, if you're working with Josh, you trust that Josh isn't going to push you to a, someone that's going to, you're going to hate maybe personality wise. Or if I've got a relationship with one of my juniors, and I know that he can't be – that he can take anything. He's a Dan personality. He can handle any coach. Okay, well, then I know I can push him to certain schools or at least I can talk to certain schools about him, whereas player B, who's more sensitive, I can't send him to a school, whatever level, where the coach is going to expect a lot more out of him as a person, expect him to be a leader, more vocal, whatever. So I think having a relationship with whoever's helping you is very is very helpful also them having a relationship with a lot of these schools is helpful that's why it's good to be with a program whether it's a travel program or good to be with someone who's helping you with recruiting uh that has a lot of relationships because otherwise i mean there's a lot of programs where you know i run a travel program it would look great if all my 17 new kids were going to louisville not all of them can go to louisville not all of them would fit personality at louisville even if they were talented enough to go to Louisville. So that, that would help that it's not just putting it on the website as a commit or these are our, these are our commits for the 2021 class. You really need, I love how both of you guys are muted at the same time. It's, it would help to have a good relationship with the guy that's helping you. And also the person that's helping you has relationships with the coaches or at least a 
knows somebody that can get you information on certain coaches if they don't have a personal relationship with that coach. If I could plug myself, take the opportunity here as we get to the end to plug myself, I am, that's where I take the most pride in. And, and you hit it on the head right there. To be successful, this is why recruiting services don't work. Recruiters can work, but recruiting services do not work. Large company scale do not work because they don't know the kids personally, like what mm-hmm. Bobby's saying. So you don't know the kid. You're just trying to flip them in, flip them out. That's how you make money as a company. And I hate recruiting service companies and anybody who follows me knows it and I'll be happy to speak out against them. And they'll be like, well, aren't you the same thing? No, I'm not. And don't ever compare me to one of them either because that's the big difference right there is relationships. Relationships are key to this whole process, whether it's my relationship with a college coach, my relationship with a family, my relationship with a high school or a travel guy or a trainer. What Bobby's saying is, is big. Personality clashes happen when you have some, when you'll have somebody helping you um, and they don't know your personality and they don't know the coach's personality and they Mm -hmm. set up a marriage of two people that are not going to work. And there's always somebody in the middle. It's not necessarily a paid recruiter. Um, Whether it's, you know, your high school coach made a phone call for you or something, right? It's, there's always somebody in the middle. And if that person in the middle who's connecting the two sides doesn't know the personalities of the two sides, yeah, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, You know, and, and that's a great point, Bobby, about you have to know the kid. You have to know the kid. Like there are certain kids, there's pitchers who they cannot have a coach. I just dealt with this recently where a team said this personality is not going to fit because our pitching coach is the kind of guy who's just going to yell at you and yell at you and yell at you. And that's not a bad thing. That's his style. And this kid, that won't work for him. So as much as we like the kid talent and video and this, let's not do that. Right. Um, yeah, that's good. But, but Dan, to go to your point, the personalities matching up is the key to being successful in college. Like if, you know, I talk about pitchers all the time. Pitchers don't need to worry about who the infield coach is. That guy could be a huge dick. He's not your coach, right? Um, the head coaches at, at some of these bigger programs or at a lot of programs, they delegate the work, you know? They delegate. That's how you become successful. So they delegate to their pitching coach and say, who's our guys, right? Yeah. So you don't even necessarily, in some cases, need to mesh with the head coach really well. As a pitcher, if that personality with the pitching coach matches up, that's the most important one to match up. Because that's yeah. the guy who's going to help you develop, get you to the next level and then report back to the head coach. So, yeah, that, that personality matching up is something that should not go overlooked in the recruiting process, to go back to the original point, because it's, it's, it, it's going to come back either way in two years. One or two years, it's going to come back as it, it either works or it doesn't. Yeah, one and the one thing I I wonder aloud is, at what point do we need to find people that really match our personality, and at what point do we need to be exposed to other people that challenge our personality? So, I'll give you an example. I didn't know who I I've like never really had any issues with coaches along the way. There were some I liked more than others, bonded with more than others, but I uh, because I could handle someone being tough on me, I guess, which I didn't really know in, in high school. Um, I never thought about it. Uh, I could like handle whatever situation, but at the same time, there are some kids who are kind of soft who maybe it's a good thing for them to be with a coach who's going to be tough on them for a while, that they need that in their personality if they're going to continue to be 
you know, a little more resilient and anti-fragile as they progress in life. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering aloud at what point is there a balance that needs to be struck that, Hey, it might be good for you to go play for this guy. He's going to be tough on you, but it's going to make you better versus here's your coach. that's going to put his arm around you when you don't pitch very well and you'll be in a safe space and you'll never get triggered by giving up seven runs in an outing. I don't know. You know, I think there's a balance of both probably, but of course the same thing with the college, you're never just going to be with one person. So for me, the tough guy on me in college was my strength coach. He was relentless. If everyone was half assing it, he'd yell at me, you know, he'd pick me out. But my college, but my head coach was like pretty easy to get along with and like very like encouraging my pitching coach that we got later on was also very like encouraging. And so I had, there, there's always that mix. So it's not necessarily like you're, you're stuck with one coach, like you're going to have a tribe still. So hopefully you do get that diversity of, you know, hopefully you do get a guy who's tough on you and a guy who's a, a mentor, a guy who's a hand on your shoulder when you need it. Hopefully you get the balance with right. the whole program. I think as long as you know, it's okay, which goes back to the very initial point we were kind of talking about on the topic of, you think he's one thing and you get there and he's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Like as long as you know what he is going into it, then that that's all you can ask for. Right. If you want to, if you want to change up the coaches you kind of play for in the style, that's cool. But as long as you know, going in, then, then it's good. Um, But you got to ask questions to know, and you got to look at the roster and the history of the program to know. Do you think players have a way to reach out to current players on the roster to figure that out? Like, if I'm yeah. a high schooler, can I, can I access guys on the team? Be like, hey, yeah. what is coach like? Absolutely. In fact, this is something that I just did the other day for the first time um, because, because of the unusual COVID circumstances. Um, I wanted to put one of my guys in touch with this school's, one of their players, because the school was recruiting this kid. But because of the unusual times, like there was no way the coach couldn't tell their current player, like, hey, you know, be available for this kid to call. And there's some sketchiness to that anyway. So I just went on Twitter, found a kid on the roster or looked at some of the kids on the roster, found him on Twitter, sent him a DM, said, hey, I'm so-and-so. I got a kid who's being recruited by so-and-so mentioned the coaches. They can't do anything here. I'd like to set this kid up to call you. Um and, the, and they were like, yeah, absolutely. Here's my number. Um, now, yes, I facilitated that, but nothing says the kid can't do the same thing. In fact, one of my kids did that on Instagram. He's the one who told me, uh, yeah, I sent a message to a player on their team on Instagram and he got back to me. And that's a great idea. Yeah. A great idea. Now, one of the things about it is like players on the team are typically like they're still there for a reason, you know? Um mm-hmm. You, you, you want to try to find some guys that maybe left the team also. Maybe some dissenters. Yeah. Some yes, mutineers. Yeah. <laughs> get, a, get a really well-rounded picture, but absolutely. It's a huge part of it. And I think not so much about just the baseball team, more just the culture of the school, right? The vibe of the school, the life of a student athlete, things like that. Yeah. Bob, anything to add? No, I mean, it's, it, it's probably pretty tough to find all of those guys, like guys that have left, guys that are still there, guys that will even respond to you. Although kids are on social media now, I'm sure they communicate a lot better than I would with somebody that's currently at the school. But, um, I mean, getting all the information you can possibly gather is really important. I mean, it's, it's honestly the opposite of how I went about choosing a college for myself. I mean, I really had two criteria. I didn't even tell my parents when he went on the visit with me, like, 
I just made the decision. It worked out great. Like it worked out. I would Can I play shortstop. Do, do you have Malort on tap in the clubhouse? <laughs> do you have, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it worked out great for me. I wouldn't change, you know, my, I talked to my, my college head coach a few times a week. Like he's the best college coach you could ever ask for. Um, but that's not how everyone should do it. I would, I would argue that nobody should do it how I, how I did it. So getting and gathering all the information you possibly can, listening to the people you trust, actually hearing what they're saying, because when they're telling you, hey, you're not a Division One player and you shouldn't be emailing these Pac-12 schools, that they're not saying that because they don't like you and they're not saying that to motivate you. They're saying that because that's probably the truth. And you need to listen to the truth and sometimes either accept that truth and try and make it better or change it or accept that truth and change your, your perspective on what you're looking for. Because the hardest thing for me is when I tell a kid, look, you need to be looking at division lower level schools, like division two, II, division three schools. You're not a division one player. You know, you run a seven, eight, you, you throw 83 from the outfield. Like you're not a division one player in no world right now as the player you sit are you a division one player and you don't have enough time to make up that unless you go to junior college and then they don't want to hear junior college and it's like they only yeah. want to hear that the positives they don't want to hear the negatives or the or the realistic outlooks on what's happening and that's that's a hard part about talking to high school kids it's not you're try, not trying to be mean rude or insensitive to them as a person you're just trying to give them a realistic outlook and I think that, you know, everything Josh said today was, was awesome, especially for high school. Any high school kids and parents that are listening, you know, ask a ton of questions. Get as much information as possible. Like, that information is valuable, not only in the short term, but the long term. Like, you need to know, you know, what are your, yeah, what's your outlook sure. going to be in four years, not just in the next six months. So, Josh, um, so you've alluded a bunch about to, to what you do, but can you – give us a good, so I'm sure there's probably some people out there listening who are like, yeah, I'd probably like to work with this guy. So can you give us the clear picture on everything that you do and offer on the web? Uh, yeah, that's not possible to do in the time. <laughs> Fine. Fine. But, well then what I do, what I do is yes, I do a lot for the coaches, right? I do a lot for the coaches and helping them identify talent. Um, I will do, I will help coaches. I will go watch games for them when they cannot go watch them. Um, I have a good relationship with them and I help the colleges a lot. And in some senses, I am an extension of their recruiting coordinators or staff, right? In some small way. However, in the end, my job is to look out for the kid. So, and to be with the kid through the whole process um, and on a personal level. So that, that encompasses a million things that would take a long time to get into from, you know, academic advising stuff to video editing, to um, being their travel agent and, you know, and setting up uh, visits and things of that nature. I mean, there's a million different things that go into what I do with the player Um but yeah, I, I work with the player and the family. Uh, and again, there's, there's too many hats to go over right now. Mm -hmm. And I am there with them through the process. I say, you know, I have a toolbox or I have a roadmap, but, and I've, I've now done this long enough to where I, I understand, you know, there's so many forks in the road for recruiting, you know, there, there's so many stop signs with different ways to turn 
well, I have this roadmap. I've been traveling it a bunch now, and I have an idea of what it's going to look like depending on what way we turn, right? Um, and so I got this roadmap. I sit in the front seat of the car with you, and but in the end, the kid and the family always need to understand that they're driving. They're pressing the gas. There is nobody. I tell people all the time, I don't get any kids committed. That's not what I do. I don't get you committed. I get. You, I help you get recruited. You get yourself committed by the way you play, by the way you act, by the way you you, you participate in the classroom. So my job is to help maximize, um, in the end, the opportunity that they will have to find the right fit and the right college program for them. Really, my job is to help a family make a very well-educated decision and make the right moves through the process. Whether they play baseball or not is not a personal concern of mine, as crazy as that sounds. They all end up playing baseball. But in the end, my job is to hold their hand through the process to make sure that they're making good decisions throughout to set the kid up to be successful in life. Whether that means baseball is included or not at college level, I personally don't care. Okay. So if someone's out there watching and they're like, okay, perfect. Sign me up. How do they, what do they do? They send you an email. Do they tweet you the DM? Do they carry your pigeon, put on a mask, jog over? Yeah, I try. And I appreciate it. I, I try not to sell anything. I take pride in not selling anything. Like I don't go out there and and do this kind of stuff. I don't have a website. Yeah. I'm doing it for you, Josh. Yeah. Getting in your face. Yeah. Well, people, like again, like this is an people, interesting thing. I don't know that I've talked yeah. to anyone that does what you do. On Twitter, I have an email address on my Twitter handle that's for the public. I mean, you know, if people are interested in learning more, I got no problem in, in telling them. Um, I, I can say this. The first thing I'm going to want to do is learn more about them. What I don't do is chase checks like these companies out there. Mm-hmm. There's, um, and I think that's a big reason why I've been successful at this. College coaches know that I'm not chasing checks. I'm not just signing up any kid and every kid. There's standards to it. Um, and I don't do this. Technically, my full-time job is a virtual school teacher. Um, and, and people say, well, why don't you just do baseball full-time? Because the second you turn to baseball full-time and recruiting full-time, you have to drop all standards for players because your income is dependent on how many guys you get, right? right. Um, so I, I will, when somebody reaches out to me, like before they get to know about me, I'm going to ask to get to know about them because it ain't worth my time to tell them about me and what I do if their kid just doesn't match up or their family doesn't match up. But yeah, they are free to hit me up on Twitter. There's an email address on there. Watch my YouTube stuff. Um, honestly, like I'll I'll go somebody, I'll block somebody if they ask me questions that I've already put out there for free for them on YouTube. Like it drives me nuts. I've spent hours and hours and hours putting out free content to help people, and if they don't have the hour to watch an episode, then you don't you don't have what it takes to get recruited. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'll help John. So if you want to follow him, it's, it's at J Rudd underscore scout on Twitter um, at YouTube, YouTube slash backslash user backslash J Rudd zero three. Um, it helps content creator at Flatground app and at Flatground bats. You know, anyone out there listening, I would highly encourage you to at least reach out, 
click on the YouTube, check out some of these videos. I mean, I've, I was on yeah. it yesterday a little bit. Like, there's a lot of good stuff. This was really good. There's and before we go, I'm cutting you off, Bob. Damn it. Talk real quick about flat ground app and flat ground bats and perhaps the difference. Um, so flat ground app, flat ground bats, and I hope I get this right for Rob. Um, they're platforms that are there to help promote kids um, and be seen, right? Exposure. You can post your videos here. You can post your, you post your videos, your numbers, all that. He's got tens of thousands of followers on each. College coaches are all over it, and it's just a way for kids to showcase themselves, get exposure, be seen. And it's super successful, and it's recognized across the globe. The difference between flat ground app and flat ground bats is that app, APP at the end, is for pitchers, and bats is for hitters. So if you're going to post a video of you pitching and talk about you pitching, put it on the app, flat ground app, APP. If you're going to do hitting stuff, then it goes on bats, flat ground, B-A-T-S. Okay, I think yeah. Leave it there. And I'm, not, I'm not exactly an employee of his, so... I uh, hope just a conspirator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, for those of you out there who don't know about those two, they are, they're really successful. I mean, I had a kid who's in Arizona. There were some questions about whether they're going to have school next year. She's like, do I have to find a new place to play? So I said, well, at the very least right now, put your video on flat, you know, tag flat ground app, do that. And he got like 10 calls that same day. Cause I mean, he's good. He throws like, 88 to 90. So yeah. it's a really did, good resource. Coaches are, coaches are watching it for sure. Oh yeah. We did something in March when the pandemic started and we, um, <clears throat> basically I, I put out there on Twitter and asked coaches like, Hey, what do you need in this rising senior class, the 2020 group, because they're not going to get to play high school anymore. Um, and a whole bunch of colleges reached out and said, here's what we need and go ahead. You can promote it on, uh, on social media and sure enough that's what we did and i just started putting up posters and on flat ground we started putting up posters this college is looking for this this college is looking for this and it was crazy it was crazy how many kids got committed off of it um it's a great platform that rob's created for sure and if and if if again if kids are not using it then they and if they don't know about it then that they're just not educated enough to get recruited it's that yeah. if they're not that's using right. it they don't deserve to get committed in my opinion, like you're not trying, you're not using the resources that are there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then that's true. And I'll put out a call. If you're a college coach or if you're someone else who's really into the recruiting side and you're interested in talking with us on the show, we've had a lot of, I think some of our best shows have been about recruiting with people like Josh and Dan uh, Savit was on from PBR a couple of weeks ago. Um, some really good talk. So if you're interested in sharing your perspective, uh, shoot us a, a message at morning brushback, but Bobby, take us out, my friend, we've made it. Josh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, join us next Tuesday. I don't know if we've got a guest or not. Dance. Oh, we'll have a guest. Don't you? We'll worry. have a, we'll have a great guest, but thanks. For great listening. mystery guest. Follow us at uh, morning brushback on Twitter and we'll see everybody Tuesday. Yeah.